Well, hello. Welcome to another edition of 20 Schemes on Cut. This time I'm actually in America, which I know is a promised land for some of you guys. And I am in just outside Washington, D.C. I think this is called Alexandria. That's right. Which is cool. Um, with the one and only Garrett Kell. And I'm going to put him on screen right now. Look at this. Garrett. Praise God, there's only one. Exactly. And this is not the promised land. <laughs> I promise it is not. So, so Garrett, you are pastor of a church that's been really good to us um, and supported us, I think, since the start of 20 Schemes, mm -hmm. um, which is cool. What's the church here? Yeah, so this is a Delray Baptist Church. Uh, started in 1897, but I didn't get here till about 10 years ago. And, uh, I was going to say, you don't look like you're older than maybe 60s. No, 60, oh, no but very interesting <laughs> fact, uh, our first pastor... Uh, of the church, the church plant. When it was a church plant, he was ninety years old when they called him. So never too old to be used by the Lord. But um, all I have to say, yeah, I've been here for about ten years, and uh, it's been sweet. It was kind of an old, uh, dead Baptist church, and the Lord has been merciful to bring um, bring some life through the gospel and through some new families who have come. And it's been been sweet to watch him work for sure. Yeah, praise the Lord. And again, even the last, we were here six years ago. I just mm -hmm. chatted to you today. The Lord's definitely worked, so encouraged by that. You also have written a number of books for the wee series that we've been editing or may have been editing. One was with the church that you did, was that right? Yeah, I think uh, I think we called it, uh, Do I Have to Go to Church? Uh, and, you know, for me, it was really helpful to kind of crystallize because I... I grew up going to church, kind of, but I didn't care about it. And then I was very much not a Christian for most of my, well, for all my high school and college years. And when I became a Christian, church was just, it was it was weird to me. It, was, it has its own culture. There's ways we do things and this and that. But so I just wanted to unpack it from somebody who's just kind of never really stepped into a church. Uh, what What is it? Why do they do what they do? How do we think about authority in the church? All those kinds of things. And so it was it was a joy for me to to, to write it. Uh, hopefully, it's, it's useful for whoever reads it. Yeah, yeah. No, they appreciate that. And then I guess you've also done you've spoke at our pre conference before at T four G on addiction mm -hmm. stuff, which is kind of what we're going to do. But most people know you for memes on Twitter, I think. Everybody, I'm like, oh, I'm going to see, oh, Garrett Kelly, you heard of him? No, not really. Oh, isn't he the guy that does funny things on Twitter? So that's like your one yeah, kind of, yeah. is that dude factor? Is that yeah, right? that's, that's, all, that's all I contribute <laughs> to the kingdom and it's, it's kind of true, but I think there's enough people mad on Twitter, so if I can, if I can put a little, little something on there to uh, entertain with a little spiritual lesson typically, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> okay, appreciate you, brother. So, I want to chat a little bit. Um, Garrett's just written a book called Pure in Heart. I say mm -hmm. just written, I guess it must be a year or two ago. Sure. Um, right. And so I want to think a little bit today about addiction, particularly to pornography. Okay. Um, our context, we talk about addiction a lot, but usually it's drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and things like that, which again is prevalent in, in most communities, particularly in under schemes mm -hmm. of Scotland where we're working. But I think that actually pornography addiction is the kind of hidden addiction that's under a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's mm -hmm. in some ways it's the it levels the playing field. So when we would be talking our context and trying to um, encourage people from different backgrounds, maybe middle class backgrounds to move into the scheme, the whole addiction thing is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. But actually I found through pastoral ministry and friendships that this pornography addiction is everywhere. Sure. Like in our culture today. It and it therefore really levels the playing field and actually a lot of the ways that we need to I think interact with that and apply the gospel that is therefore translatable into any addiction that we're going to go for so I'm in. yeah no I mean I think you know people have always um yeah but perversion around sexuality is is not new uh it's been this way for forever I mean anytime they excavate old cultures they find you know uh displays of wickedness and everything but but I do think in our age 
the with the with the internet and the accessibility of of immoral images and everything that comes with that there is a um you don't have to do the work that you used to do in order to to get pornography and because of what pornography is it taps into something that's so core to us as being image bearers who are sexual beings that um it it yeah it's it's addictive in in a, in a way that um, we get ensnared and enslaved to it, and I think its prevalence is is really terrifying and daunting. And I think it's it's so prevalent that we've kind of gotten used to a lot of pornographic just generally. I mean, we live at about a at about a six. I mean, just our culture, um, at least here in America, the culture is at least at just at a six. I mean, it's a burger commercial and it's it's sensual. I mean, everything is is sexualized and. It really does prime the pump of our, our flesh in a way that's dangerous. Definitely. I think like my concern with that is it in some ways therefore is almost seen as acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so I would know like, I know people that have fought to turn from alcohol addiction, drug addiction. Yep. And yet the pornography stuff is just kinda of acceptable low bar law. At least I'm not this anymore. Mm-hmm. And and that I'm gonna to have to live and struggle with this until I don't know, again there's there is truth in that. But um, but yeah, totally I got mm-hmm. helpful. Gary, do you wanna tell us a little bit? about your story, why you wrote the book, and yeah, just how this has been a battle in your life. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, por- pornography has been a, a, yeah, a part of my, my world, both before I was a Christian and after I, I, I came to know the Lord. So I still remember, I was in fifth grade, I was visiting a friend's house. Uh, we were playing ball outside or something. He's like, hey, I want to show you something. And so we went inside, went to his room, he closed the door. He's like, I found this in my dad's room. And he pulled out this wrinkled magazine, and I could still, if I tried right now, pull up in my mind the images that were on that that wrinkled page. Um, that was my first first ex- exposure to pornography, and it it just it set something on fire. Wait, in me. sorry, did you say you were? I was what? in fifth grade, so I was probably um, what is that? That's eleven years old oh, wow. or so, um, ten years old, um, and. It just it awoke something in me, this this corrupted curiosity that just wanted to know more. And then we moved, and then shortly after I moved, uh, it was fifth grade, um, moved, and uh, f- we went to another friend's house, and he's like, "Hey, I want to show you something." And this, and what he showed me there was much more uh, wicked than what I'd seen before, and it really just it just it set it was like a match on gasoline, and. That that just fueled really the next bit of my life before I became a Christian of sexual immorality, both with pornography and then also in relationships that weren't weren't honoring to the Lord. And and it really was um yeah, it was enslaving. It was it was my sin of choice. And then when I became a Christian in God's mercy, uh, a buddy shared the gospel with me at a party and it it unfolded with a couple of weeks of him sharing the gospel more and me reading the Bible a little bit and Jesus saved me, which I am so thankful for. And he he liberated me, you know. I mean, I I was born again, forgave my sins, and I had about a a 6-month window where you know, I didn't want to sin and when I did, it grieved me so much and all of this. I felt really free and then Somewhere along the way, um, pornography began to sneak back in, um, and that continued. I love the Lord. There was a lot of shame and guilt kind of tied to that because I love the Lord, loved Him, 
And then I would give in to this sin and it would just haunt me. And I would do all kinds of different things, you know, to try to repent. Um, I would fast for long periods of time. I would, you know, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that I was trying to just fight this. I didn't know how. Um, went into, moved to Texas, was part of a uh, Bible study program there, um, was still fighting it on the side. And I still remember one time I was just finished a Bible study. Um, I was in seminary at this time, training to be a pastor. I was an evangelism pastor at this church. This Bible study ended, and as soon as the amen happened, this just temptation, just like a fiery dart from the evil one, came in my mind and says, go home, look at porn. And you know, Pete, I did. I went home that day, and I looked for hours. I mean, just page after page after page, just looking. And it just, it's not there. You know, whatever you're looking for is not there, but I just kept looking. I remember I stopped, and it hit, and I what I felt was, um, I had this, this idea that I, I think I'm always going to be like this. And I just kind of almost resolved in that moment. And the next two and a half years were, I'm just going to live with this thing, you know? I think, honestly, I think that's not just you. I've heard that a lot. And it, there's just something that is even more, and we'll get onto why, but like it just wraps itself around you even more than a, mm-hmm. a drug addiction or something because sure. it kind of affects who you are at the, the core, isn't it? How you, were you talking to people about it at that stage? Was there brothers that knew your struggle? Or? I was trying to not talk about it in a way that would disqualify me from ministry. So I I would say, hey, pray for me. Been struggling a little bit um, with some purity stuff. But but Lord, it's been so much better now. I'm doing better. Which meant last night I was looking at stuff and this morning I wasn't. And um, But I would spread those confessions out over like a dozen guys. So nobody had just a window on how I was doing. Um, I think in hindsight now I can see how deceptive I was being. In my discussions about it, uh, it was it was basically me trying to just not feel guilty. It wasn't really it was it was worldly sorrow. Uh, you know, Second Corinthians seven ten. There's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. I felt bad that I was you know not honoring the Lord because I love the Lord, but I it, this was not about I was displeasing the Lord and that grieved me. It was that I felt guilty and I didn't want to, and it was wrecking things. So and I think that's for me again. Why I think thinking about it in terms of addiction is mm-hmm. key. If I mean the heart of addiction is idolatry, sure. right? So worship and find your hope in something other than Jesus, and like the way that we would see that play out again with a guy in disciple who, who might be an alcoholic is that he'll share a little bit mm-hmm. enough to make it look as if oh yeah I'm I'm, I'm struggling working, here, I'm yeah, trying, I'm, yeah. But you you know that under the surface there's a there's a ton of stuff that's yeah. going on. Yeah, we just did James and. Um, church and the whole idea at the end of confessing our sins to one another one of the things i'm thinking through is often i will confess that little bit that looks as if you're doing it sure but below the surface yeah i'm not and i think again particularly with pornography addiction you can guys would say i'm struggling with lust and that's a normal thing sure but i guess all of us know we've went through anything like that that okay below the surface there's a lot more going on and we just don't want to share it or there's a shame or well there's shame there's guilt and also there's a real temptation by satan to not get light on our sin because light is sin's kryptonite like it's what weakens it um so whether it be feeling a temptation or confessing you know sin that has been committed when you get light on it and i mean really get light on it it loses some power over you in a way that that helps to get the liberation from um from the ensnarement or the addiction you know and i think um that's that's something that you know maybe we can talk about more at some point but walking in the light and honesty 
is one of the greatest antidotes to this. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, shame makes you want to hide and cover it up. So that was at seminary and then could it move forward after that? Yeah, so about 2007 uh, for me, uh, this was... Uh, about three years of being a pastor. I'd been pastoring for three and a half years. I was uh, not married. I had a long-distance girlfriend, but in God's providence, um, you know, that, that didn't work out. I, I met my now wife, or we had met before, but we got back in, in, in touch, and I was very honest with her. I was like, hey, listen, I need you to know what you're getting into. Now, because I had interest in her, um, I had been able to kind of put to death some of the the giving in so there was some distance between like when i had been really struggling with it and when um when she and i began the conversations about it been uh, six months or so um and so i was very forthright with her well i was thinking about planting a church so i i I wrote um i reached out to the guy i was going to go plant a church with in new jersey and um, told him, basically i wrote him what i now call a letter and in that letter i detailed all of my sexual sin from the time i'd become a Christian up until then, because I felt like if we were going to minister together, I wanted him to know me. And I can just see how the Lord, the Lord was behind that. And actually, my wife Carrie and I, we, uh, we were engaged at the time. We got on a plane, we flew up to New Jersey to film our promo video for the, the church. And my buddy Reed said, hey, let's, let's meet up. Sat down at a coffee shop. And I still remember him saying, hey, man, this is, this is the hardest conversation I'm going to have. But like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable moving forward, uh, planting with you because of some of the things you've shared in there. And to be honest with you, brother, I'm, I'm not sure you're qualified to be a pastor right now. Um, and that was, it really hit me. You know, I love this brother. And, and to this day, I really, I think Reed saved my life. Like he didn't just be like, Hey, we'll work through it. We'll figure it out. But like, no, he, he saw what was happening. I think the Lord gave him good wisdom and insight. And it, it altered, it altered, and it began the, if I'm honest, be the worst year of my life, um, in the sense of now we, I got married that year, so it wasn't totally <laughs> awful, but um, but I began to experience the consequences of my sin. So I confessed my sin, and it's true that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there are consequences for it. And so I went back, shared the letter with my elders, um, uh, and over. Yeah, over over time, um, confessed in front of the whole church, um, and yeah, went through a whole lot of stuff in the midst of all of that, which was hard for me. But but I think what still haunts me is how it was hard for them. Like these were just people who loved Jesus, and they were believing His Word, and all they wanted was a church to preach the gospel. And I put them in a really hard position, and. You know, Pete, there's some people who walked out of church that night after I shared and have never walked into a church again. And the weight of that, I mean, I'm forgiven and I, I understand that, but there's that weighs on me still. And so. we don't like we don't think that way about our sin also, do we? It's no. a very personalized thing. Like it's, this affects me. Yeah. And I can I know I'm gonna have to deal with this, but it doesn't like even like no. And especially with pornography, we think this is just a private sin. It's never a private sin. There's no such thing as a private sin. Your grieving of the Spirit and your sinning always affects others. It affects the ways you think about others. It affects the way you interact with others. I mean, like if, if somebody binge watches porn or even just looks at porn the, the night before, on Saturday night, and then they go to church on Sunday, they're not 
not just coming in filled with the Spirit, encouraging people, looking for the person who's sitting by themselves, then ministering to them, and just, they're they're different. There's it where the Spirit is grieved and quenched, and so even in that, there's there's lack of. Um, the sin has kind of won twice. It got you and now it's getting others. And then it also messes with the way you look at people and think about people and all of that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I think particularly for leaders, hypocrisy is uniquely dangerous um, because it distorts people's image of who God is, which to be honest with you, which was part of the reason I didn't want to confess because I didn't want people to under, to think, oh no, this guy's been lying to me about Jesus. So I, I was a we're all mixed bags of good motives and bad motives. So I was trying to protect the Lord's name, but you don't protect the Lord's name by lying about it, you know. So um, yeah, it's sin is it makes everything hard and confusing. And like, okay, so he's I mean, a lot of what you said resonates with some of my stories as well. And then, like, you're when you get married as well. Although again, you're forgiven and. But you bring a lot of baggage into that. Like I, I know your book as well. When you read that about Carrie giving you the letter mm-hmm. and the, her purity kind of thing, yeah. And then you said I, I just couldn't do that. And again, yeah. I don't think we think of that. I think when we're especially when we were single, younger, restless pornography, it is just about us here in the moment. Sure. And there's still a guilt and a shame that comes with that. Right. But that's gonna get worse though, right? Whenever if the Lord does bring someone into our life. Yeah, and I think it's gonna affect every relationship differently, right? So. You know, the letter you're referring to is on our honeymoon night. My wife shared a letter with me that she had written when she was, uh, you know, a teenager and had had saved herself until that night. And, you know, I would have given anything to have been able to say, and I've waited for you, too. I, I couldn't. So there was, and I, I wept. Um, but, you know, she gospeled me, and the Lord has blessed. And I'd actually say that her gospeling me in that and just loving me, it really did alleviate a lot of that. So I don't feel now as haunted with the... Um, hey, I did this. I wish I hadn't because of. I think the Lord's healed a bunch of that, and He can do that. What I do know a lot of people struggle with, though, is you can understand pornography is satanic discipleship. And it's teaching you to think about sex in a way that's not real. And that is not, you can't expect sex to be like in, in marriage. Now, I'm not saying you can't have enjoyable sex lives, but it's just not reality that everybody's always ready and everybody always is real engaged and affirming and like and everything's always just the way it's portrayed is not it's not reality um couples make love you know when they're trying to have children and aren't able to have them and and couples make love when there's a cancer diagnosis and there's couples make love when after they bury parents and there's there's lots of it's not that. So it can create this discontentment in hearts. And it even. also like completely inverts what the Lord's designed sex to be. Doesn't exactly. It just makes it about me about and you, my yeah. pleasure and what yep. I can get. And sex is the opposite of that. In a, in a Christian marriage, sure. right? it's about the pleasure I can give and how that unique kind of vulnerability of us each other in yep. this moment unites us together. And, yeah, it's, it's about serving the other in a way that models the life-givingness of, that God has, has shown us. It's a, it's a way to serve and to care for. Um, and certainly there is reciprocal enjoyment, and God's wired it that way. But the idea is that both serve one another for the other's good rather than what can I get out of this. And you can just, that sort of untangling takes time, and, and there are ripple effects um, that a lot of people don't understand what they're setting themselves up for. So Yeah, which again is why we want to, I guess, counsel whoever's listening, people in our context, people in our churches, that 
this isn't the kind of wee subtle little sin that mm-hmm. um, without the effects that we think it is like you can again think of an alcoholic who's coming home abusive to their family you could be like oh at least i'm only a porn addict but actually in some ways the the roots of that of the kind of sexual perversion maybe even have more drastic effects in the rest of our life and so it is a deal right it's something oh, that we need to kill and slay and it is you know it's interesting um uh, uh, during the time I was writing this book, I was out with a guy. Uh, we were walking down the street and we were talking about stuff. He had been looking at uh, pornography like every day for six months. I mean, he was in he was in dark. And this fairly attractive um, woman was walking this way. Um, and when I say fairly attractive, I'm not trying to, you know, whatever. But like she was an attractive lady who was walking this way. And this guy, it was his reaction. He literally turned his head and cricked his whole body away so that he couldn't look at her and just basically walked past her like this. And I just, I, I said to him, I was like, okay, brother, not to, not to shame you in any way. I know you're trying to bounce your eyes, as it were, but can you see the effects of the way you think about a fellow image bearer? Like this, this woman that just walked past us is made in God's image. She's more than just a sexualized being. Right. And and he couldn't even be around a woman because he was so filled with shame and regret and like self-hate and like all this kind of stuff. And whatever that is, that's not how the Lord wants us to interact with others. But that is how Satan wants us to think about people. So it's yeah, it's satanic. Or like what are the other ways like a similar thing that it comes out is that we would all, I'm sure, reel against human trafficking, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, and yet if whenever we indulge in pornography, we are enabling a lot of the stuff that verbally or we're be like, right, this is our, we mm-hmm. march against it or we do like, you know, sure. whatever. But all of the industry that we, we kind of all drawn to is what feeds a lot of that as well. You don't think oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> you don't no, think no but I mean, and you're, you're not just enabling it, but you're paying for it. <laughs> like literally every click, pornographers are able to take that statistic and say, this is why you should advertise on our site. And they get paid millions. I mean, like you are, it's it's yeah you're you're using other image bearers and furthering this sex slave industry in a way that's that's terrifying and yet as of any sin any addiction the gospel is the answer to that right yeah in and the there's right way of all we need yeah so we could if we stop the story right here it'd sound pretty doomsday yeah. and but that's the good news of the gospel is that jesus came for people who are sick like he came for people who don't have it all together he came for um, for for sinners, like that, God the Father is ready to hug a pig-smelling son who's going to run home, you know, and son's going to come home with all the reasons why you shouldn't receive him. The same, the Father's like, shut up, give me a hug. Like so, the gospel, as as dark and hopeless as sin appears, void of Christ, <laughs> when Christ comes, there's life and there's light and there's hope and there's forgiveness and there's healing and there's restoration and there is a way to live the abundant life. I'm not going Joel Osteen here, but like I'm just like there is an abundant life that Jesus promises now, right? So being being a Christian is not just about eternal life and hanging on until we get there. It's about eternal life begins now through the abundant life, the spirit producing life in us that is Filled with liberation and joy and peace. Because again, we often believe the lie that we in that moment what will what I need, what will satisfy me right. in this moment is only this image or this feeling or this thing. Yep. Whereas Christ will satisfy us. Yeah. Like, 
forever and always all that we are longing for we only truly find in christ isn't it yep yeah and that's why you know i mean one of the the you mentioned the book um it's wrapped around this promise from from jesus he gives us matthew 5 8 blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god and the whole premise of the book is that purity is not an end in itself so the goal is not just to get you to quit looking at porn so you can be like i don't look at porn anymore like that's not pure in heart Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's the beholding of God that is our goal, knowing Him, enjoying Him. And as we enjoy Him, it strengthens us to continue to resist against sin and temptation. Uh, So purity becomes a means or a pathway to knowing God, to enjoying God. And this is where sin only deals in uh, instant gratification. Like that's its that's its marketing thing. Like I'll give you what you want right now, and you you deserve this. So here you go. Where the Lord says, "I need you to walk by faith and trust me," and there will be joy. It's a different sort of joy. It's not it's not mic- microwave. It's crockpot, right? You know. I mean, it's it's different. And yeah. What I, was I, your? I hope. There was a line in the book that I loved um, comparing. Is it sin to like? candy-coated feces or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's I probably stole that. Yeah, no, I probably stole that line from Timothy Brindle or somebody. But, like, that's that's the way it, it presents itself. It presents itself as, oh, this is sweet, and then you bite in, and you're like, that ain't what I thought it was, right? And that's how it always is. Sin always hides the price tag. You know, you're like, our kids, one of the things we're teaching them is there's nothing free. Uh, and they're like, look, they said this is free. I'm like, nah, let me, let me explain to you how they get paid out of this. And then you kind of give them the whole thing. They're like, oh, that's lying. I'm like, yeah, that's what marketing is. Well, sin is marketing for Satan. It's temptation is a promise that hides the price tag that assures you that if you give in to this pleasure apart from God and even against God, that you will get exactly what you want. And you know what? In the moment, you take that bite. You're like, oh, this is good. And then you're like, that aftertaste, though, it just it doesn't go away, right? And that's where the opposite of obedience. Sometimes in the in the moment, obedience is really difficult, and resisting is this is hard. I want this, no, no, no. But I can look back on several times, even recently, where I was tempted to give in, and I didn't. And that lasting sweetness of obedience just never goes away. Like I could tell you stories of times where I gave into sin, and even to this day, I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't. But I can tell you stories of times when I obeyed. And I was like, man, I was so glad I did. You know, we're, I don't I, I just don't think sin tells you about all that. So how then do we, as Christians, as the church, yeah. help each other in struggles with this? So yeah. how do we shine the light? How do we encourage each other to walk in the light? I know the second half of your book had a bunch of cool yeah. practical help for that. Do you want to sure. give us some thoughts on how we can help each other with these things? I mean, I think... First and foremost is remember that God is the goal. So we want to pursue purity to get God. Like he's he's the goal. I think we also want to, and this is one of the things I love about 20 Schemes and, and the churches, uh, the church you guys pastor and others. Um, you want to be about the gospel where on, on a gospel, the gospel welcome. So a non-gospel welcome in a church is, Come in, please wear the right stuff, look exactly right, stand up when you're supposed to, sit down when you're supposed to, don't say anything naughty, and you know, just look right and keep your external things together. That's that's dead religion that is not about the heart. A gospel culture welcomes and says, hey, listen, if you were looking for the place where everybody had it together, you came to the wrong meeting. 
This meeting is only for people who are bad jacked up. So everybody in here, if you actually knew about them, what they knew about them, you probably wouldn't want to sit next to them. Everybody in here is desperately, desperately twisted and need help. Which people don't, honestly, I've had conversations in the last month with someone like, oh, I could never share it because people would be so like, would be outraged by what I've went through, what I'm doing. And I'm like, like as a pastor, one of the things I get to see is some of the struggles. I'm like, no, we all are messed nah, up. Yeah, like. everybody's everybody's messed up. Everybody's got stuff, bro. So, and that, that's where I would say that's. But you can hear already, even in that, Satan deals in shame. Yeah. He he deals in shame. He wants you to be like, you can't say that. No, it won't accept you. Nobody will receive you. Everybody will think you're damaged goods. Everybody will, and like that's, I mean, that's behind everything. You know, uh, whether past sin that we've done or done to us, like with abuse or whatever it may be. Like you just, Satan wants to shackle people with shame. So if he can't. He can't send you to hell. He at least wants you to make you feel like you're going to hell. Um, so, so I think we want to we want to have a gospel culture um, in our churches at large, in our community groups, in our discipling relationships, and our friendships, where we're not expecting one another to have it all together. Now, what I don't mean by that is there's also in our age this I'm so authentic about my sin that I don't I don't care about it. I'm just free from caring and. You know, it's not that big a deal. We're all just sinners. Well, the the point of the authenticity is to get it into the light so we can get grace on it. So we don't want to be authentic and accept our sin. We want to be authentic and help one another to fight it. So I think you can't do this alone. You, you and I, everybody else, we're, we're too weak to fight this by ourselves. You need community. But you need the right kind of community. You need a community that understands that Jesus only helps people who can't help themselves that that understand that first Corinthians or second Corinthians chapter 12 that when we are weak then then God's strength comes in so you got to boast in your weakness right so I just don't think that's natural to us so I think that is huge then so we got a, God's the goal a gospel community you've got to get the stuff out of your life. So, you know, if somebody is is an alcoholic and you go over to their house and you open the fridge and there's two 12-packs in there, I mean, what are you going to say to them? What the heck's wrong with you? Throw those away. Like, we're going to go outside and we're going to break every bottle, right, in the dumpster. It's gone. Same sort of thing. Like, I want to start and be like, okay, how are you accessing your pornography, right? Um, and if somebody says, well, it's my phone, um, be like, okay, well, are you ready? Jesus says, you know, like, I mean, just, just listen to what he says. Um, verse uh, 29 of Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. What do you think Jesus is saying here? Like, some people will be like, well, he's being hyperbolic. He doesn't want us to cut off our hands. Sure. But he at least means you got to be willing to delete all the apps on your phone that you're accessing pornography with. He at least means you got to be willing to get rid of your smartphone if you can't, if you can't have a smartphone. And that's where I tell people, believe it or not, people live for thousands of years without smartphones. It's actually possible. So, for, for instance, my phone, um, this thing right now, if you put a gun to my head and you told me to pull up pornography, I couldn't. And the reason is because there's ways to dumb down your smartphone in such a way that you I can't download apps. So if I want to download an app, 
I go to my wife or one of the fellow pastors and I'm like, Hey, can you put the code in? Like I'm, I tell my wife, I'm like, sorry, you married a 13 year old. I was like, but here you go. So she's got to put the code in. I download an app. We put it back off and I can't, I can't access it. Literally can't. I think that's awesome though because I, I've talked to you about that scripture before and you're right, you totally go to like all the things it doesn't mean. Sure. Like it doesn't mean take or your high. I mean it's but actually what it is saying is a drastic step needs of to happen. Yeah. And like something today, like not having a smartphone seems like that's a bit much, right? I mean, surely I could slay this without but if that's what it takes, then we need to like yeah, we need to yeah. kill Sanderson be killing you, right? Is that yeah, exactly. Yeah, John Owen's not lying there. So I think I'm gonna find out what is what is the access? What are the access points? And let's do whatever we need to do to cut those off, right? And let's let's make sure that we're cutting them off in a way that, um, yeah, doesn't allow you back, you know, back back in. And so you want to cut out the um, the the inflow. That that's that's a huge point. So. And again, this is similar to how we would counsel people in any addiction in our context right so what you need first is jesus if you know the love of jesus if you are captivated by jesus and suddenly the, the love of sin doesn't seem so you know compelling anymore yeah it's 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 a greater affection exactly um, yeah. and then you need the church okay like you're not meant to love jesus by yourself nope. no one can love jesus by themselves we are all messed up yep we need a community of people that are we're going to walk alongside us we can be honest with that will right. be honest with us yep. and we'll point us to jesus and then that sometimes means drastic you know cutting off your hand stuff if that's what almost always does at some yeah. point it almost always does like did you not say in the book there's if you're not doing something like if you can't point to what you are doing yeah what, then it means you're not yeah i mean it's something like you know if, if i ask somebody are you you know, are you drastically fighting against sin? If you can't point to, yes, here, here, and here's how I'm doing it, it means you're not doing it. So uh, everybody just doesn't want to be inconvenienced. Uh, we want to be comfortable. We want to have our cake and eat it too. And and that's just Satan is telling you, no, you deserve this, or you need this. Or, and Jesus is like, no, you need to live. You, you need to honor me. Why do you call me Lord and, and not do what I say? Like, this is, this is real. I mean, and we want to Sometimes you can over gospel it to where you're like, well, Jesus is patient with you and it's fine and he'll help you. And, you know, and that's true. He's patient with you and he will help you and all of that. But not at the expense of the warnings of the Bible that if you persist in unrepentant sin, like you should not be hopeful. Like it, it's evidencing something about you. Right. Um, and again, there's there's real ensnarement. And then there's 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 everything that comes with that. And we don't want to, you know, um, add something to what God requires. But there's. There's warnings there intended to help us to stay sober. And it is worth saying that it's not going to necessarily be like that. No. And some addictions are, right? Sometimes pornography or they can like that. But I think more often than not, it's always going to be, it's that active fight. For sure. And again, I appreciate you saying that. Like your phone now, I'm sure it's been years since the start of this story. It took a while to get there. So I know for me, like all the things I was addicted to before, right? So relationships with with girls that were unpleasing to the lord um that was that was like that was like crack for me like that was meth for me and that god helped that to stop um and then for me the drugs that i was doing so i used to do all kinds of stuff for me the lord stopped that right away alcohol i had to be and still have to be careful with I have a history of alcoholism probably in my own life, but also in my family. So I have to be more careful with the way I think about alcohol um, to where I just, I, I know myself and I have to be really careful. And then this stuff, you know, it's just, I think I'm just going to struggle with it until the day I, I go home to be with the Lord. 
But what it means for me to struggle now versus what it meant years ago is just night and day. So I, I have to, for me to access pornography, it takes so much effort. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I put up so much barbed wire in my life that me trying to get to it, you know, I've set it up to where I should be like, okay, this is so hard. Why? Oh, Lord, help me. And then I'm going to reach out to a friend and, and get some help. So I appreciate how they gave me do that for our joy, right? Because for joy, Jesus yes. Yeah. Well, and Jesus says, you know, in John 15, 5, that you know, he spoke his commandments that we may obey them so that his joy will be in us um, and our joy will be in him. I'm going to read the verse. <laughs> I, I just butchered the mess out of this. It's worth listening to. Hold on. John, where'd John go? Um, Jesus says he's given, and it's John 15, 5, calling them to abide in him, right? And he's talking to them about the way we abide is by obeying. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. It's so much better than whatever I was saying. <laughs> That's like a this, lot better than what you just said. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I said something out of the Book of Mormon. Sorry about that. But this, <laughs> this is, like, this is it. If you, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Like, the Lord created us to know joy. And sin, all it does is steal it with counterfeit joys. And Jesus says, no, trust me. So all of this fighting is not just so we'll be, you know, not feel bad and, 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 and not be bad boys and girls, but rather it's so we can know God, enjoy God, please God, and help others to see that he's better. And that's where it might be brutal, but it's always worth it. Always worth Jesus, it. Jesus. Always worth it. it. Right. I want to, just before we finish here, chat a little bit, pivot into those of us in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could be anything. So we would have internships for guys that have been saved out of kind of scheme backgrounds that maybe just been Christians a couple of months, years, right the way up to senior pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think often we don't share these kind of struggles because we're worried, oh, I'm no, I can't, I won't be useful for Jesus if people mm-hmm. know any of this stuff um, yep. about me. So can we chat a little bit about that at the end sure. here? What, how does all we just spoke about interact with our usefulness or how we can be used in the Lord in ministry? Yeah. Um, it may be helpful to link a little article I wrote for Nine Marks on this entitled something like, does... Um, does pornography use disqualify me from being a pastor? So I'm, I give a very thoughtful, it's longer, but it's, it's thoughtful. Um, what I would say right now is, um, you know, 1 Timothy 3 says that an elder, an overseer, is to be above reproach. So that means that, that you should be a model of resisting and repenting of sin. So elders are not sinless men but they should be models of resisting and repenting of sin. So all elders are going to be sinners, are going to be saints who sin, and they're going to be struggling with it. But the way that they struggle with whatever sin it may be, be anger or it be you know, um, patience or it be what they do with money or what they do with, with pornography, it should be a model of resisting sin. So it's not just that they're they're really good about confessing it when they do every other week. Like, mm, then they're not being a good model of resisting sin, right? Um, and part of the model of being a good repenter is that you you come quickly on your own. So there's not you get caught, right? Yeah, you got caught. Yeah, I've been looking at it for six months. Uh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, he's such a model. Like, no, you've actually been a liar for six months, and you've been so. I think we want to. We want to be honest, right? So if in that, one of the things that I think would be, it'd be a case-by-case basis based on um, what what happened or what's been happening, 
What's the pattern look like? So there's a big difference between an elder coming and saying, hey, guys, I need you to know that two nights ago I was on social media and I started scrolling around and I saw a sensual image and I clicked on it. And then I looked at it for probably 15, 20, 30 seconds. And then I deleted the app. I told my wife, I, I set up some things to where I can't download it anymore. And I wanted to come in to tell you guys that I, I, I made that compromise. I'm willing to answer any questions or do whatever we need to do to cut off any other avenues. That is one thing. A guy who, you know, the, the, whoever does the technology stuff notices, man, there, there's something off, uh, in the, in the, you know, what's being accessed, what's going on, does some digging, finds out that somebody's accessing pornography, finds this person's computer and they've got like, they've been doing this for every, you know, every other day or every whatever and been hiding it. That's a totally different bird. Right? So I think that spectrum in between there is we want to say, what have they done? How often is this happening? Um, are they being honest about it with their spouse if they're married? Are they being honest about it with others? Um, and what's all of that accountability look like? So I don't think somebody accessing an image automatically disqualifies them depending upon what it was. And again, it's a case-by-case basis, what it was, how long it was, what happens, all that kind of, there's so many things, right? Um, but I do think that the more... The closer one is in regards to ministry uh, service to being an overseer, the more severe the sort of accountability needs to be. So, like, for instance, if one of our interns is struggling with pornography, um, it's going to be treated differently in regards to being able to stay in the, por- in, in, the, um, in the internship versus an elder who's struggling with it, right? So I think... I think it was just different responsibilities that come with that, that it's going to be kind of a case by case basis. The short of it is yes, pornography can disqualify. Um, but I think we need to be not overly rash in, in just, you know, going Jehu on people. And cause like we've thought about this a little as elders, how we train others again at different stages. And I guess the two things you don't want to happen is either one, someone to think I'm always going to struggle with this. So right. like I, I totally the lie that you were believing when you first started pastoring, like I'm always going to struggle with this. This is, but also I don't want people to believe I could never talk about this right. because if I talk about this then everything is just gone like that. Now that's wrong, right? We don't mm-hmm. want that. And if yep. it needs to be going like that, then it needs to be going like that. But we also need to have a culture, particularly, as you say, the, the further away from the yeah. overseer position, where we can and we can encourage honesty. Mm-hmm. You're struggling with this, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's get it into the light. And then we can we can work out is how can we kill that and move on from yep. it. If we don't have that culture, then, yeah, I just think yeah. that, yeah, we're not going to get there. And I think it's on the elders and the leaders of a church to model well, the sort of culture of honesty and authenticity and 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 truth telling, right? So, you know, I mean, I think you don't want your church culture to be the sort of place where anybody, whether it be a you know, typical member, man or woman, or an intern or a staff member or a fellow elder or even yourself, to be afraid of what would happen if I confessed in the sense of they would all hate me. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if I if I start indulging in a pornography in a particular, I mean, if I start doing that, like I realize I'm going to lose my job. And there's a lot of weight that comes with that. So some people who may be listening to this be like, the cost is too much for me to, to be honest about this. 
like if my wife found out or if my job found out or if my whatever. And I would just say that the the cost is actually too much if you don't yeah. come into the light. Um, it's it seems safer to keep it under wraps, but it's it's not. And this is where the Lord would say, "Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." You're tired of hiding your sin. You're you're tired of covering it up and minimizing it, and somebody, you know, asking you a question, you always having to figure out how you're going to answer. Like there's, I just want you to know there's freedom from that. Like the Lord Jesus came to set us free. And if anybody's listening right now and they're like, if you sense the Holy Spirit has convicted you in any way, I would just encourage you, urge you, implore you to not wait to right now send a text to whoever the person is that you trust and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Um, so I'm sending you a text to make sure I do it. When can we talk? And then let's trust the Lord. He can always deal with honesty and he will give grace. He'll give himself. And I want you to know on the other side of it, it may cost you a lot, but whatever you get back of him, it's worth it. Praise the Lord. Yeah. What a place to end. Thank you for you, Garrett. Yeah, thank, thank you for you, brother. The Lord's grace your life and, and sharing that with us. And that's us finished the episode of Twice Games on Cut. Again, as we always say, if there's questions that this has provoked, please get in touch. Please pray for the ministry of Twice Games. Um, as we try and disciple people through these issues, please come and give your life to that um, as well. But no, thank you for you, Garrett. Yeah, you too, Pete. All right, God bless. <laughs>